And the thing that I realized that I don't like about this culture sometimes of specializing in 10,000 hours is that it's too exclusive. Having that mentality can breed discontentment because what it does is that it says there's only one way to be and all you ever do is always measure yourself to the external. So I really just appreciated that the book just sort of like... um, pushed away the gates that we like to put around people where we tend to make life so exclusive so that people that don't have begin to really just be so discontented about, you know, not having what the world says you should have versus realizing that there's literally riches everywhere. You know what I mean? If only sometimes we can just open our eyes and see. So for me, that was just like one huge refresher to say, the world belongs to all it just depends also on how we can begin to engage with what's around us Mm -hmm. hey this is eddie and this is intervo acha i want to welcome you to define self podcast Hey, okay, so we got a special uh, episode here today. We are joined by our good friend, Stephanie. I mean, what would you my say? My friend, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm joking. Secondarily, <laughs> she's my friend. <laughs> uh, all right, so Stephanie, uh, real quick, you want to just jump on and say hi? Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm no. Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> so great. I'm so looking forward to this podcast, guys. <laughs> and for more context, so Stephanie is a mom. To the little girl who my son thinks he's gonna marry. Right. Yeah. Right. Did I get yes. that right? Yes. <laughs> so so we are potentially future in-laws. Yes. Right. Well. If his right. plans work out, right. If his plans work out. <laughs> yes. All right. Cool. So today we're gonna be reviewing the book Range by David Epstein. Um, so we just thought that to make this discussion even better, we have to definitely have Stephanie, uh, come join us and yeah. Here's what I'm going to do real quick. Let me introduce the high level summary of this book. And I invite uh-huh. you and Tibble to add or correct or fine tune, uh, my summary. Okay. And then we could jump okay. into what, what you just went through, which is, uh, which I think is a great structure. Okay. Well, um, I mean, personally, honestly, I don't really have like, whatever you're going to say summary wise, it's fine because I'm more on the, I just want to speak about what it meant to me. Perfect. If somebody wants to go and find something that's more accurate summary wise, they must go Google. Perfect. So then let me do the summary <laughs> and I will hear nothing from you. All right. So here is how and what I think this book is about. I think the biggest summary of this book is is essentially a look at how uh, developing the ability to to embrace your generalities, the multiple areas of interest and proficiencies that you have, and you can bring that into any one area of focus or um, allow a journey, uh, you know, that that develops your sense of of purpose, your sense of, you know, where you fit. Uh, So I think this book just speaks to and builds on the value of building that capacity to develop range and to embrace all the different generalities uh, that, that we bring to our lives and our work. Well, since I have the physical book in front of me. Oh, don't do it. (laughs) You're just going to read. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, I can't believe this. Stephanie's got the book up looking at okay, so, <laughs> one of those podcasts, all right? So you have just given us the interpretation of the book. So I'm just going to read from the book and say what David F.C. says the book is about. All right. The Range. <laughs> Range by David Epstein. It's about how generalists triumph in a specialized world. And one of the cool things about this is that on the front of the book, at the top, it says... This is Malcolm Gladwell speaking, the author of The Famous Outliers. Makes me thoroughly enjoy the experience of being told that everything I thought about was wrong. I love French. And the reason I guess it's important because Malcolm Gladwell in Outliers speaks about specialization and the whole mm-hmm. concept of 10,000 hours and how you need to, you know, narrow, well, focus and drill deep, you know, into one specific area. And that's how you're going to become successful. Whereas this book introduces a very different mentality. I don't think it refused uh, outliers. I think what it is saying is that there's a broader reality to just specialization. And there's another way that people can become 
successful, which is you can, gen- you know, you can have uh, general knowledge about many multiple areas and that can in, in and of itself help you to become successful in your specific field. Okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, Stephanie, anything to add to that? I think. I, no, I, I agree. I agree that that's a good way to, to summarize the general impact of the book. Okay. Okay. Well yep. then let's, let's get, let's get personal in terms of our own experiences with the book um, uh, and grappling, grappling with it. I I'll say, you know, just for me personally, uh, after reading through it, it was, it was actually a really interesting read. This is something that Ntibwa and I um, uh, seldom will we'll every now and then find a book where we're convinced we have to read it together um, uh, because it, it's affirming, because it's a journey that we want to walk through. Um, and this, is, this was one of them. Uh, and, and I think reading this book really gave me a very clear side of who you are, mm-hmm. Table. you know, in terms of just the, um, I think- Schizophrenic said, looking. Yeah, it's like your of... hobby is having hobbies. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's like, what is that about? This book really helped me understand that. Um, and, then, and then for me, it really, it really personally helped me drill into understanding um, I've been really looking at this whole concept of like where our brain, our brain causes dysfunction, like the ways that we naturally do things is just not, not the way that it should go. I I could talk more about that later, but, but personally allowed me to grapple a little bit with expectation versus just being able to, to relax, enjoy the journey Mm -hmm. um, and walk through it. Uh, But yeah, I, I I mean, those are kind of like some of the high, high points for me anyways. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that the genesis of how this book recommendation came around was Chiron, <laughs> Stephanie's husband. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. He's only finding out now. I had no idea. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Chiron was out to lunch with a colleague, a work colleague who said, oh, I just read this book. I think you should read it. And so Chiron got the book and then he's like, you have got to read this book. And so I started reading it. And then my mother, I told my mom about it and she bought the book and gave me the physical copy because I was listening to an audiobook. And then I told Ntubo when you were over at the house, I was like, you've got to read this book. And she she got it and then told you and then here we are. So fantastic. Full circle. Yes, full circle. circle. (laughs) All right. All right. Cool. So Steph, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. I I think that for me, I I mean I I can probably count on one hand. I'm a, a broad reader. I've read a lot of books and I read all the time, but I've I can count on one hand the books that have really, really deeply impacted me, like really changed how I think. And this is one of them for sure. And I I think that it's really just caused me to reconsider sort of measuring sticks that I've used against myself for my whole life and kind of going, wow, okay, this is a very different way of thinking about success or um, how do I you know, like I having, having three small kids and having one of them in the school system for a while and all this kind of stuff going, you know, what they're saying is really important. Doesn't feel so important. What is important? What, what should we be focusing on? And this kind of helping me kind of have some perspective and some data and some examples of saying there's more than one way to skin a cat as my great granny would say, and you've got to find what fits for you and for your child. And I think that has really just impacted me a lot, just the way that I think, how I feel about my own journey and moving forward, like how, how do I want to deal with some things with my kids? So yeah, yeah, it's been really good. Yeah. And I think, so Steph, I'm going to tag on you, the phrase you used there, the, the sticks that I used um, to like, I used against myself, the measuring sticks I used against myself. So that's the thing though, for me, where it, I've always had this inkling and I, I had a thing against myself, which was, I like from observing and from having worked, I realized that for the most part, the people that tend to end up being department leads and, you know, the head of this organization, there's a level where, you know, in a lot of cases, or maybe it's the thing that I believe that the world was one way and I tended to notice those. I don't know. But I think what I started noticing was, wait, it feels like these people that eventually get promoted are the people that have specialized. 
right? Like you said in this role, you know, you sort of like, you know, have gone through whatever training and then they move you one level. And then I guess you reach your, your cap there, they move you up and up and up. So for me, I always had this thing against myself that, oh my goodness, like you are all over. Like I just was so bothered that I didn't seem to be the kind of person who could like drill down and just focus for years on one thing. So it's always been at the back of my mind. Um, and in fact, the only job that I truly enjoyed was the kind of job where I was working as an analyst analyzing companies. But the thing is, I was doing multiple sectors. So I was doing mining, I was doing government companies, I was doing retail. I loved it because why? Even though I was sitting in one chair, I was... I was ranging, <laughs> you know uh -huh. what I mean? I was everywhere and I loved that. Every other job that was like singular focus, bored. After six months, once I, you know, get my, my, my head around what needs to be done, I'm bored. So the only thing that was exciting was just the initial, you know, stage of trying to discover and to learn. As soon mm -hmm. as that's done, I'm just like, oh my goodness, why do, and I should just remember even getting into the investment industry and not to say that there's no complexities to it, but I felt like this is so disappointing because the bar of entry in some places is so high. And then here I am sitting at my desk and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I'm just saying that ah, okay, well, I mean, I guess I've learned what I need to learn then. And I'm just like bored, you know? Um, so in any case, I think this helped me to embrace myself more. To mm -hmm. say, and it's not to say, you know, a person should lack discipline and never like settle or never, you know what I mean? And never sort of like develop that ability to go the long road. I'm not, I don't think that's what it's saying. But I think on the other hand, it just meant that I stopped condemning myself for being the kind of person who was interested in learning different things, you know, and I mean, in different ways, I think the three of us possess range, but it just looks very different on the outside, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's interesting about this, uh, because I mean, right now we're looking at this whole personal impact and in, in the internal shift that that's taking place. I think I think for me, what I'm what I'm realizing is how in on time reading this book was for me, uh, because I'm now beginning to um, to uh, in, instead of working on you know, my business and working on the, the things that I, I have to do. Uh, the thing that I'm, I'm focusing on now is documenting life and just kind of allowing myself to walk through, you know, new experiences and learnings and, and being willing just to share that, you know, as opposed to having to look up, up uh, what's the word, um, like a professional, like the expert, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything. Um, mm -hmm. and so like reading this for me, was like, Hey, this, this is the, the affirming, uh, an affirming invitation to be able to sit down, explore and, uh, and realize that that exploration is meaningful. Like it counts, yeah. it goes somewhere. It's not a waste, um, of time or effort. Uh, and it's not distracting. Right. So I think I, you know, walking through this for me was like, okay, I can actually relax and, and just go, go with the flow of learning um, as, as the, at this point in my life, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, I guess like as you're talking, I, I'm just thinking about some of the like the before and afters for me, like some of my perspectives that specifically changed. And one of them was specialists are smarter than people who have moved from one area to another. Yes. Um, right. And you said that they're more successful, but also you can only be successful if you're a specialist or you and or have known what you wanted to do since childhood. And you intentionally began training at an early age for that intention. And what I've realized is in, in addition to that being sort of a self-starter and kind of a knowledge of self, which there are people like that. We know people out there in the world who are like that, but I would wager yes. that most people are not like that. Yes. And then I would also wager that many of those people who are successful in that specialized area had parents and um, resources, wealth, education kind of behind them that kind of shot them into a particular direction. But the question is, how much did that success really overlap with their natural interest or what 
they're going to long-term be doing that. That was like a big thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I guess another thing before this book was sort of like, if you start something new later on in life, it can only be a hobby or like a thought experiment. You couldn't actually really bring anything to the table. You couldn't actually really do that as a job or be successful or, you know, contribute something to that area. So it's like, well, I didn't really know anything about black holes and advanced math until I was in my late twenties. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't possibly yeah. benefit from reading a book about it or researching it, or just being in, like, just pursuing my interest in that, which yeah. I found of course is not true. I did it anyway, but <laughs> I think the, the other lie is you can be self-sufficient in your expertise. Like you don't need other people. And this book gives us so many examples of like getting up out of your own trench and looking around, seeing how what I'm doing is connecting to people next to me is important. So my post book reading kind of thoughts are what the world is telling me is true and how to be successful sort of based on a flawed logic. Yeah. And I have to reconsider those measuring sticks, but also um, journey is important and yes. community is essential. Yes. So the pathway that I've been on, that I am on and that I will be on is important, not just for me, it's important for my family and for my friends and for my community. And I guess, I guess the thing I just kept thinking was even what, David Epstein is saying in this book is not a hundred percent applicable to me because what I was kind of getting from it was, well, you can look at this from the Malcolm Gladwell perspective of outliers and deliberate practice and all this stuff, or you can say, oh, well, going after range is what's going to make me successful. But I was kind of reflecting on it and going, is really the hunt for success what I'm after? Yeah. doesn't feel like a very fulfilling life. Yes. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm all I'm after is success. It's not that it's something yeah. else. It's there's a nuance in there of finding what is it that I'm really supposed to be doing at any right. given point in time yes. and finding really being where you are and experiencing the joys and the difficulties yes. or the learnings of whatever situation you you're in. Cause we all have a limited amount of agency in our lives. Like if like, my last seven years of my life is being pregnant and little babies and all this. And you don't have that many choices, but is there a lot to learn and gain from being in this quote restricted environment of life? Yeah, there is. And so how do you, how do we take this, this perspective that's in this book and really glean from it? Not like being able to memorize what he says is true, but kind of go, okay, well, Hmm. What, what am I supposed to get out of that for now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I will say um, is, you know, the, the, so the, the idea of contentment. So what I also imagine is that, okay, so if we assume that there's only one way to be successful, which is, and this is like one of the really powerful examples that he speaks about in the beginning. And this is what you had said to me, which made me interested in the book was he speaks about the example of Tiger Woods, who at the age of four, you know, started playing tennis, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, today we know who Tiger Woods is, but then golf, golf exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Golf. Um, and then, Of course, contrasting with that is Roger Federer tennis. Uh, and the fact that he didn't play tennis until he was a teenager, but he did play basketball, skiing, skateboard. Uh, he was a skateboarder. He played badminton and did tennis. And I think it's something to the effect that his mother didn't really want to coach him in tennis, but she was a tennis player, blah, blah, blah. But he experienced range. And once he was a teenager, he was like, OK, OK, let me do the tennis thing. So it's also this misconception that, well, if you don't start now, oh, well, it's too late for you. And the thing that I realized that I don't like about this culture sometimes of specializing in 10,000 hours is that it's too exclusive. Okay. Because suppose I really want to be a, you know, I don't know, a golf player, but I can't right now. Um, I don't know. I just feel like it just having that mentality can breed discontentment because what it does is that it says there's only one way to be and all you ever do is always measure yourself to the external. Whereas if we kind of like approach and realize that, well, wait, there's a thing called range. You don't choose where you are born. You don't choose always the circumstances that surround you. But the thing that I appreciate with, with, uh, with the range is that it starts to say, well, okay, so you find yourself in this corner 
look around. Is there something perhaps around you right now that you can leverage, that you can learn from? It's, you know what I mean? Like for me, it just felt like saying, well, you know, just open your eyes differently. Right. Because there's hegemons, right? There's hegemons, you know, the way we see the world. And we just see the world as this one way that is accessible only to the people who are born in rich families. And I'm not saying that money doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that. But I just feel like if we always sort of like view the world as the people who are going to get ahead are really just the people that already have the money. Yeah, it can be true. But I think what it did for me is that just leverage, though, what is around you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you know what I mean? Like leverage what's around you. See if there's something that you can learn. Like Stephen, you always speaking about the thing of being a mother. That it's it, anything that it doesn't last. These things don't last for eternity. So it's like, well, while I am a mother, like what can I learn? You know, how can I begin to change and develop as a person? Because seasons come and season go. And it's like, if I can just focus on leveraging where I'm at right now and just being content, um, you know, with where be content with your station in life, right? Um, you know, if I can be content, perhaps later on, you know, I'll look back and realize that, man, actually, the fact that I was there and then I was there, the fact that I lived, you know, for me, because I grew up in a rural area, but there's actually stuff, you know, given just how I grew up, that even now when I'm living in, you know, city and whatever, I just feel like I can always leverage certain things from back there that when maybe when I was back there, I could have felt like, ugh. This is not that great. You know, um, ugh, we only have, I don't know, tomato and onions in the fridge. Ugh. Um, versus just leveraging, okay, I'm here. We only have tomatoes and onion. What meal can we make from that? And then later on, where I am living in a city and we've run out of food, I can literally, you know, tap into the fact that I've lived in a place of... Um, less abundance and just keep moving. Right. So I really just appreciated that the book just sort of like, um, pushed away the gates that we like to put around people where we tend to make life so exclusive so that people that don't have begin to really just be so discontented about, you know, not having what the world says you should have versus realizing that there's literally riches everywhere. You know what I mean? If only sometimes we can just open our eyes and see that, yeah, you might be home with your grandmother, but your grandmother, if you were to choose to change your perspective, might be such a wealth of knowledge, you know, whether she's telling you about history and telling you about things that other people probably have to go to the library to get. But perhaps your grandmother, you know, becomes your your source. So for me, that was just like one huge refresher to say, the world belongs to all. It just depends also on how we can begin to engage with what's around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just read read a book about James, uh, well, James Clear wrote this, uh, Atomic Habits, and it kind of touches on this. He presents a formula for contentment. Um, and it, it's something it's something along the lines of experience plus expectation equals contentment. In other words, if, you're, um, if your expectations are super low, but your experience was great, you end up with a positive, you know, you're, you're in a positive, you're happy, you're content. Uh, other ways around um, as well, if your expectation was really high and your experience was really low, then you're negative. But but the point that he's making there kind of touches on what you're saying is that is that where we set our, ex- our it's two things where we set our expectations and what we allow our experiences to be, you know, uh, are two variables that we absolutely have the power to fix. And again, getting back to what I was mentioning earlier in terms of like where the brain goes is functional, it's, it's almost as if the the messiness of our brain is like a, a a need to predict you know in a in a in a constant effort to see what's around the corner mm. i've got to start investing in this thing right now specializing if i'm going to be yeah. a business owner yeah. and have this and that and this constant push is actually causing us to not be content yeah uh, you know, we're, we're not allowing ourselves to sit down and experience the moment and just absorb what we get, you know, as well as this whole issue of like we're setting this expectation that doesn't necessarily align to the journey that's ahead of you. Um, uh, so so, no, I'm 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 completely 
I mean, understanding where you're coming from with that and, and the need uh, for us to to find ways when appropriate. I mean, not not to again, not to say there are no goals or there's no mm-hmm, effort, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to begin to really take a critical look at the expectations that we do set in the experiences that we do allow ourselves to, to have. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I, one thing I'd, I'd add to that is. Um, I think for me, like reading this book and just kind of some of the considerations I've been having is sort of like the swing between like, should you be a specialist or should you be this generalist kind of a thing or whatever? (laughs) And I think that finding myself in the middle was sort of more where I, I felt like was more appropriate because you don't intend to be a generalist, right? what is a generalist? Yes. Right. And I kind of struggled with this concept of like, what is a generalist? And I was like, well, what it means for me. And I don't really, I I eschew the term. Sorry. I reject that. I'm not a generalist. I'm a person who right now I'm doing a specific thing, but what I did yesterday or I did a couple of years ago is not the same as what I'm doing now. And what I'm doing now is probably not what I'm going to be doing exactly in a couple of years. And I think that um, the willingness to, have like, see, I think that they also sort of like, if you're a specialist, you're highly motivated with a plan. And if you're a generalist, you're just kind of going with the flow. And I think (laughs) that also that's not who we are because you could end up, you could end up being sort of lazy and listless and never, you're not journeying, you're wandering. And I think that's a big difference. And so the, the, I think is like, you have to recognize you have choices about certain things and you don't have choices about others. So what you're saying in table of, of maximizing your use and appreciation of the resources that are around you is important. Um, I think also Eddie, what you're saying is sort of having some plan, but let it go when it's no longer appropriate. You go, well, that didn't work out the way I planned. (laughs) That's okay. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to be kind of mature about it and go, well, there was value in that. Even if it didn't play out the way that I, I had planned it or I thought it would, and I'm going to keep moving forward. And so there's always going to be this sense of like, there's gas in the tank and I'm filling the gas tank. You know, there's drive, there's not ambition, but a desire to continue moving forward. Um, but not being driven by some false parameters that I, you know, that I didn't really see before. And, um, and I think one of the things, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but talking about how people learn that one of the, one of the things that really stuck out, stuck out to me was this idea of like a desirable difficulty, yes. the, the idea of kind of crafting some struggle into the learning process. And they said, uh, David Epstein says, it requires the learner to intentionally sacrifice current performance yes. for future benefit. Yeah. And this idea, uh, so that for me was, okay, as a parent, Let's take a deep breath, let go of the need of like a super achieving second grader and ignore the pressure that's coming from the teachers of we've got to pass these tests. This, you know, the, the, the school board says we've got to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, we're not saying don't help your child prepare, but at home you're crafting this environment and this expectation of Past tests, fail tests. Hmm. Did we learn something at the end of the process? And so that that experience and expectation thing is so important for identity creation and um, children knowing or people in general knowing I am not what I do. Yes. And there's a learning process that's in here that I've got to figure out how do I learn? Yeah. And maybe like you're going to have three kids. You One is going to like be a super test taker and one is not. What are you going to, what are you going to do with that? How do you craft expectations around that, that are really authentic, (laughs) authentic environmental structures in the home that help them find their, you know, find the balance there. Um, And I don't know. I, I just think that kind of recognizing that this pressure that we feel is often externally imposed and you have to find the balance. Yeah. Right. Yeah, actually, there's a code. um, I mean, yeah, code. So it says the more confident a learner is of their wrong answer, the better the information sticks when they subsequently learn the right answer. Mm -hmm. And tolerating big mistakes can create the best learning opportunities. So that last part is part of the the recalibration that happened for me. Because before this, um, I realized that I was obsessed. And again, right, being... um, 
I guess a perfectionist in some ways of being like, uh, you know, wanting to achieve, I realized that I was stuck in that, um, you know, in the, in, with the obsession of just wanting to be right, wanting to get straight A's, wanting to get 100%, uh, blah, 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 which, you know, it's all, all well and great, but it doesn't actually necessarily mean that you learned anything. It could just mean, like you were saying, you're a great test taker, or like me, I'm very good at preparing and blah, blah. And then when it comes to it, I will make sure that I supply the right answers. But in the long run, do I even remember anything? You know, did I actually really learn anything? And then oftentimes the answer is no. Uh, So what I started doing is that I realized that sometimes when... um, you know, my sons would be doing something. I'm sort of like they're hovering. And when somebody's about to do something wrong, the old me would almost want to interject before you go off, right? <laughs> the wrong road and say something. But since I read this book, I've like embraced the cycle of learning, right? Uh, you know, and it's not to say that, if, you know, in all cases, you just like let your child do the wrong thing. I mean, of course, that's not what it says. Because even before before doing certain things, obviously, we explain, you know, we do like some knowledge transfer, if you know, that needs to be. And it's like, give the, the learner a chance to do what they need to do. And in fact, if they come around, and they got it wrong, like now, actually, I'm I don't like flinch and say, Oh, I did something wrong. Or, oh, my gosh, you are not paying attention. I actually find that I embrace the fact that they did something wrong because I realized that more than the answer, I've oftentimes you got it wrong and there might actually be multiple reasons why you got it wrong. And it actually affords you now to begin, not just like a, a, a one area where it's like the focus, like, well, you just need to get it right, but it allows you to almost more holistically approach the learning process to say, okay, I know you can actually do this. So, hmm, you got it wrong. Let's see. Okay. So, did you read correctly? Did you pay attention to the you know to the right things? You know, where was your mind at? Or or, you know, maybe all of those other things were fine and it's just a matter of they just don't understand the concept. And now I have to find a new way of explaining it. Uh, and maybe a new way is not even like being in a textbook. Maybe a new way is we go to the kitchen, you know? I take out the orange, we cut up the orange into fractions and all of a sudden the child is like, "Oh, wait, now I get fractions right but then now that child who failed and we've had to like engage other ways of learning when once he comes back around and he has to fill out a spreadsheet or worksheet you know it's like his understanding has actually elevated and why because the failing provided an opportunity for depth of learning to happen so for me that's just like one thing that just changed like yeah, like that just changed completely where I'm like, now I'm like, okay, let's embrace failure. Um, you know, and not to say, well, mm, we're just not really going to try it, but like, let's embrace failure in the sense that it's fine. You know, sometimes we fail and it's fine. Let's just learn from it uh, and become better for it. You know? Right. Right. Stephanie, I'm not sure if we missed anything, guys, but. And, you know, I mean, we all have children all basically the same age. So um, it's true. I I think I think one thing I would just add, since we're on that point with what Ntebo said, is that um, something we say all the time. So I have a seven year old daughter and a five year old son and a two year old. He doesn't care. But um, it's like everybody makes mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's mistakes are part of learning. Yeah. How will you know anything? How can you be good at something before you even tried? Yes. You know, and I think that's part of what we realized. Olivia, the the seven-year-old, she's she's absorbed all of these learning rules, which is you better pass that test and be perfect mm-hmm. the first time, or you know, ooh, you're if you're not first, you're last is this yeah. kind of mentality. <laughs> and and you know, the five-year-olds pick up the same thing, like, oh, I can't read yet. And you're like, um, we're just Fine. starting, you know, it's okay. Just take a breath. You're gonna get there. Or oh, I wrote that too wrong. You know, it's just so hard on themselves. Yeah. I go, how will you how are you supposed to do it if you don't know how to do it? That's okay. Yeah. And like I'm learning to make bread. I've never like baked yeasted bread. And what they everybody who if you if you pick up a book or you turn what turn on a YouTube video, they say, 
it takes a lot of practice. Your first loaf is not going to look like what your fifth loaf looks like or what your 10th loaf looks like. And sometimes it's really going, oh, I couldn't really understand what they were talking about until I really messed it up. And then you learn from that. And so it's sort of like, well, if we can understand that as adults inside of these non-academic environments, then why do we impose that a very different standard on our kids inside of an academic environment? And, And that's where I've also sort of rejected academics. Um, not, not like we don't, we have our textbooks, we're following our state plan and all that stuff, but the idea of trying to pass a test yeah. to learning that's is not what test. we're after. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's where I've applied range in my, how I think about educating my kids is kind of going, and, and, and Temple and I have talked about this as well, which is spiral learning. And so like, well, you're at a first grade level, So you don't just have to, you know, know, like we're going to just rehearse what a noun and a verb and whatever is, we're going to go outside and we're going to look at things and then we're going to come home and we're going to research that. And research basically means just trying to identify what it is Mm -hmm. and read some facts about what kind of bug that was or what kind of bird we saw on the pond. And it's just expanding their minds by going, oh, wow, there's stuff out in the world and I can find out what it is. And, you know, like in with math or in language and history and all that kind of stuff, you're going to touch it at a very low level right now at seven years old, but next year we'll talk about it again. And it's going to hit something in your memory and go, Oh, I recognize that. I remember that. And that connects to me with one of the things that Epstein says in the book, which is deep learning is slow. Yeah. You know, the things that we know are like deeply seated. You don't have to refer to notes Yes. You don't have to like memorize anything. You know it. Well, how do you know it? Well, you've been exposed to something many times over a long period of time. And that's where parents and teachers are so important because they give you the context for that information and they're helping you think about it or correct, you know, like mistakes or whatever. But at the same time, it's you, you have to be willing for things to take a while. So how do I just kind of expose them to a, a broad range of subjects with some, you know, connections between them and just recognize that the joy of learning and the joy of the journey mm-hmm. is the fuel for the long-term yes. arrival, you know? Yeah, yeah. Is it like, oh, well, we're going to make it through first grade. We're going to make it through mm-hmm. elementary school. We're going to make it to the end of middle school and high school and college or whatever you want to do. But if you can't like look around in your corner, like you were saying in Temple, mm-hmm. and kind of glean from what there is in that, mm-hmm. you're going to burn out. And that's why I think we see so many young children burning out at, in like fourth grade right. um, because there is no joy and there's so much pressure. Yes. Um, and yeah, we have to, if your child's going to be in a standard school system, you're going to have to help them learn how to take tests. That's yeah. part of the environment. Yeah. But how do you as a parent give them some other yeah. Thinking construct to contextualize sure. test taking if, yeah. if that's the way that you're going about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the concepts in this book um, along the lines of the, that, that he introduces, right? When he talks about desired difficulties is this concept of interleaving. Um, mm-hmm. And and so the picture that he draws is when you're when you're learning how to uh, skip a lot of notes when you're playing the piano. Um, mm-hmm. The point, uh, you know, interleaving isn't trying to hit the right note. Interleaving is trying to hit the notes around the right note. It's it's more so about the the practice of of that reach, mm-hmm. you know, and you you're trying to make it. And and just in terms of bringing it back into into parenting, I'm thinking of moments where my oldest, um, uh, who's six, is learning how to catch a ball. Um, and, and also, so is my four-year-old. And, and so what I've had to do, because he gets super frustrated because he's not catching the ball, you know, or, or achieving the outcome that he wants. Exactly. Um, and it's super frustrating. So, so emphasizing on my end, the little steps around catching the ball, like, oh, buddy, you, you followed the ball when you're trying to catch it. That was nice. You put your hands up, you know? And so like, just talking about Mm -hmm. that, he's still not catching the ball, but you, but I'm noticing he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move this time, dad you know, or, or paying attention to the things around the actual goal. So I, it just, it just gets back to this whole thing of I've, I've got to create a routine that doesn't teach them how to achieve the accomplishment, but teaches them how to, how to keep, you know, trying, you know, how, how to uh, like actually play the game, not win, you know, I, I've got to essentially help them learn the things around the outcome winning, you know, that's yeah. great. Uh, uh, but, but really 
interleaving and, and, and teaching them the practices around that, uh, which is a key emphasis. Um, I, I feel like we're going to keep coming back to the whole parenting thing because, you know, apparently you can't really entirely run away from it. Um, so one of the <laughs> other concepts that he talks about is uh, um, kind environments sure. and wicked environments, right. um, which I think, and and all it is, is so for example, in the Tiger Woods versus Roger Federer, or maybe let's just say, I don't play chess, so I mean, chess players, you guys can correct me. Sure. Um, so a kind environment is a sort of environment where, or maybe actually, maybe like even working in a factory, where you you your job is to just always press the button. Every five seconds, you press the button, press the button. So it's kind of environment, it's kind of like explains an environment where things just always happen the same way, right. more or less. There's a right? lot of feedback as things happen. The rules are known. Yes. Yeah. There's immediate feedback and you can make adjustments exactly. to improve. Yeah. And then uh, wicked environment is quite the opposite of that. You know, yesterday the sky was blue. You walked out. It's green today. Oh my goodness. Like things keep shifting. So just relying on, I guess, a one way of doing things becomes problematic. And it can become disastrous because unfortunately things are always changing that there's not just one solution or just one way of doing things. Right. Um, I mean, anyways, I mean, I wanted to read like a code, but before I do that, I mean, if you guys kind of like want to expand on that, you guys can go ahead and do that. Like, Same. You're right. I mean, it's the feedback is sparse uh, or sometimes lacking completely. Um, uh, the, the environment is unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll change on you, but yeah, I think you, you nailed it. Okay, so one of the examples that he uses, and I'm just going to like read a snippet from this because I think um, this really just explains it so well, is that he talks about, um, he brings up this, I, I, I guess it was, a, it, it was an experiment, right, involving villages, okay? So anyways, I'm just going to read this because I think once I read this, you know, it'll be clear. So it says like, like chess, uh, chess masters and firefighters, pre-modern villages relied on things being the same tomorrow as they were yesterday. They were extremely well prepared for what they had experienced before and extremely poorly equipped for everything else. Their very thinking was highly specialized in a manner that the modern world has been telling us is increasingly obsolete. They were perfectly capable of learning from experience, but failed at learning without experience. Which is like, oh, because we price experience so much, right? Um, and that is what a rapidly changing wicked world demands. Conceptual reasoning skills that can connect new ideas and work across contexts. So mm. Stephanie's point about community and sort of like popping out of your hole and looking around. Right. Uh, faced with any problem they had not directly experienced before, the remote villages were completely lost. That is not an option for us. The more constrained and repetitive a ch challenge, the more likely it will be automated, right? While great rewards will accrue to those who can take conceptual knowledge from one problem or domain and apply it in an entirely new one. So I think for me, it's like, ah, yeah, the world we live in, unpredictable is like the word. Yeah. Right. So... So meaning that, yeah, so if we are not, and I mean, I guess the word that comes to my mind is, do you have the ability to be, to flex? And flexing can be in all kinds of ways, right? So is it flexing, meaning that, okay, well, I used to look at this thing this way. Oh, wait, let me, you know, dip back into my bag and just sort of like, re you know, reference everything I know and, you know, look at it a different way. Is flexing means, okay, well, let me reach across and go speak to Stephanie on the other hand, I mean, on the other desk, or let me go speak to Eddie who works in the other lab. You know, it's like flexing is many things, but it's that we live in an environment where we cannot be just so narrow-minded, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. but that the ability to flex and to change, um, you know, really is just so important for us being able to, you know, to, to survive. I mean, right. <laughs> I don't have a better yeah. word. Well, I, I mean, thrive, succeed, right. whatever, whatever's the ending of that yes. sentence, it, it applies. And I think that this was interesting for me in the book, you know, that, looking at um, IQ scores, how they seem like they've things have really shifted post-World War II and all of that. And they, you know, the big question was like, what's happened? Are, are people getting smarter? It's like, we just so, so rapidly increasing our intelligence and all this kind of stuff. But the problem was, is that the world had changed, but the test didn't. Mm -hmm. And the world has become increasingly abstract. Like we require yeah. people to think in abstraction and be familiar with, um, 
um, like trying something on that you've never experienced before um, and using your expertise in one area and applying it to another one just like that. With And I guess this is also one of those things where there's going to be people who are really good at, at jumping very quickly and there are going to be people who are going to take a longer amount of time for that. And if you go back to your promotion scenario that you said at the beginning in double, um, who got promoted? Well, it's probably the fast learners, you know, yeah. people who are able to make those shifts. Given enough time, I think a lot more people would have made, make those mm-hmm. shifts, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think for myself, when I, I, I have exactly the same quote <laughs> highlighted in my notes, you know, this ability to learn without experience for a specific scenario. And so I think in with parenting or kids, like you could have, like if you're homeschooling, you've got your three major things you want to do that day, but the two-year-old is getting a molar or <laughs> so-and-so is just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or didn't, had a really bad nightmare and didn't sleep. Yeah. You know, the environment has changed. You're going yeah. to have to reevaluate or um, you had planned for the two-year-old to be, I don't know, doing a puzzle in the other room. And instead he's crying in your lap. How are you still going to teach math? You yeah. know, <laughs> and the ability to change your plan and still do what you need to do. And sometimes that is, we'll do that tomorrow, but it's also, it might be, well, what do I have to do to shift internally to do that or change my method or my approach? Mm-hmm. Professionally, we're being required to do that a lot more. Oh, well, you've always had, um, an office that you drove to that's away from your home with that's quiet. And then you have meetings in person with people. And then suddenly a worldwide pandemic hits and you are at home in your guest bedroom and your children keep running in and out. It's like, how do you change your approach to things? How do you build flexibility and use some skills from your parenting in managing employees who are freaking out? Like, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we have to be able to do. Um, And I think that this this whole idea of, of kind of needing to perform in this abstract world increasingly, and that's changing so rapidly. I think the last year, year and a half has been a really good example of that. really stuck out to me in, I think this chapter is called learning fast and slow. And they gave these examples of teaching math to kids and they, they realized, you know, I guess they set up cameras in hundreds of classrooms in many different countries. And all these people watched hours and hours of teachers um, trying to teach math concepts to middle schoolers. And what they realized was there were basically two kinds of questions that they ended up observing in the classroom. One was using procedures. So you're teaching, I don't know, multiplication or something. And then they give them a worksheet with multiplication problems. Um, And they go, oh, wow, look, everybody learned how to do that because they gave them practice immediately after learning it. And if they were tested the same day, hey, we learned a lot. But if they waited two weeks to test them or review that, they'd realize, oh, wow, not all of that stuck. Mm. The other kind of question was like making connections. So like what we would maybe call like a word problem or something. So saying you've learned how to add or you've learned how to figure out like how much each thing is worth if I tell you how many of them you had or something, but you don't know how to, apply that to a different context. And so a making connections problem is basically saying, well, you have a worksheet and it has multiplication and addition, and I don't know, some sort of variable equation or something. And you have to apply what you've learned in those procedures to figuring out what kinds of procedures do I use in this question? And to me, the thing that was really interesting was that they're basically saying kids will always interacting with parents or teachers try to change a making connections problem into a procedures problem. Mm. And in zero cases did the, um, did the learning basically survive 
that interaction <laughs> because the kids would just pepper the teacher with enough questions of trying to figure out which kind of problem it was. And the teacher would just basically tell them. So the whole point was you need to know when to use which kind of a problem yeah. or problem solving technique, which procedure do you use the whole, and that's life, right? Yeah. So if you've, you've taken a bunch of math classes in your life, but then you've got to figure out like, I don't know, you've got to actually do an algebra equation for going, well, I've got this much flour and I need to make this many loaves of bread. How many, how many um, cups am I going to need or whatever it is is going to be. And you've got to actually think through, oh, of all the math procedures that I learned, <laughs> which one do I do right now? And that's actually hard, you know? Um, well, it may be hard for, for me, Stop not for X. everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think, I think that for myself, I was inside of a parenting situation or inside of a teaching situation, kind of holding myself back from the desire to see immediate success and yeah. therefore what I think of as learning yeah. and kind of be willing for there to be um, time, yes. mistakes, misunderstanding and kind of sitting back and not getting stressed about that. Cause I, I would tend to be a perfectionist, but a very unhappy one, <laughs> you know, in the, in, in the learning process, I'm just like, would be way too hard on myself. And so I'm trying to also re, re rethink how I, how I perceive myself, but going, okay. So if you're clearly not getting this, let's just take a step back. Let's talk yeah. about that again. Why, what do you think? Mommy, how do you spell this? How do you think that's spelled? Yeah. I don't know. And that allows me number one to see where you are, but also you are learning. You can figure this out yes, through thinking through a problem and working it out. And of course, if you're really, really, really not getting it, I'm either going to tell you, or I'm going to teach you again, but this um, it's made me rethink like my own measuring stick in it, you know, a lesson by lesson basis, but also just kind of going, there's, there's a better way to get this across to the kids as well. Um, and for myself as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to say that it, it speaks volumes to what you two were mentioning earlier in terms of homeschooling, the spiral learning, um, where the approach is let's go out and, and build on your interests and teach you how to find solutions. Uh, yeah. I think you realize that, you know, behind all of that, the goal is let me teach you to identify patterns and mm -hmm. how, and how to walk that out, you know, how to make connections, how to see that, you know, my, my four-year-old, um, has his brain that's constantly churning, which is probably one of the reasons why he sleeps so long. Deeply. <laughs> his brain is constantly crunching information and he makes these random connections. Sometimes he's like, Hey, daddy, turtles are not vertebrae, you know, and some, some, something random, like, what does this come from? But it's what's happening in his brain is like, Hey, there are connections here. And, and, uh, and I think that's the objective uh, at a certain level of learning for our kids is how do we help them? How do we help ourselves as well? Learn this, identify patterns um, and, and make connections. Yeah. And I think that, um, I don't know. I, I think with the kids, you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many voices out there about the best way to teach kids this, or this is the approach. And what I find is that there are so many, like, it's not like a, a, a method for one thing. It's like a whole life system theory. Like if you want to have your child in a Montessori school, you've got to do everything this way, or, Oh, we're Charlotte Mason people, yeah. or we do this, this way, or, you know, whatever. And it, it, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get it from this book. I get it from, from the, the other, you know, specialization books. I get it from all the different theories of education that like they try to, um, well, I guess the way they see it is your identity is so wrapped up in the, in what you think and what you do, mm -hmm. um, that it, it's, it's almost illegal to kind of take from this one, <laughs> one area, this thing and one area from that thing and to really find what you're looking for. But I think Eddie, what you said there was like, follow your child's interests yeah. and allow that to, they've already, you like, so I know um, your four-year-old really loves bugs. You know, he's really interested in hunting for bugs. And so it's like, well, if that's the language, quote unquote, that he speaks right now, you've already captured his interest. So if you can take what you need to teach him, you know, basic addition or spelling or books to read to him or whatever, that's around something he's already interested in. That's actually the hardest part. And I don't think that that just applies to children. I think that's for 
adults as well. And I think that what this book for me is, is saying that like you, you're like, well, I do this job, but I don't find it very interesting, but I've already invested so much time in, I've already invested so much energy or money or education in this particular area. I can't leave that because I've already decided to specialize in that. Um, but I would wager that even if you can't, like not everybody can just go, oh, well, I'm as a mid-career person, it's just going to leave this profession now. There would be a benefit in pursuing an interest anyway, your hobbies or your, your passions or whatever it is that you're doing on the side and realizing that those things can actually enrich yeah. your perspectives or your connections with people inside of your professional environment and in your life. And, you know, if you're young and you have the opportunity to, you know, like figure out what you really love to do and something that, that is a passion becomes your career. Great. But I think there has to be hope for the rest of us who, you know, maybe didn't have that kind of a pathway early on and that those interests are there for a reason, you know, um, and it's not just something totally random. And so I think that, you know, we're, we have to be pursuing, we have to kind of go, okay, but what am I actually interested in? It's so easy to get lost in the pressures of life and the demands of life, stepping back and kind of going, what am I interested in? You know, Hmm. Is there something there? Is there some way for me to kind of experiment with that inside of my current context um, to kind of give an opportunity for that thing to develop a little bit? Um, and I think our kids, I, and I've said this so many times to Ntebo, is like, they don't really believe what we say. They believe what we do. So if we're looking at range and we're trying to provide this whole um, experience for them as parents and educationally or whatever, but they're not seeing us invest in um, authentically invest in interests that are like real interests that have been there a long time and not giving some space to those things or, or, or like not giving ourselves grace to kind of try something and not do well at it the first time or try it and go, well, I thought I would like that, but I really don't. I'm just not going to do that anymore. You know, it's like, if they don't see us doing that, then they can't really follow us in that. And I I think that would be part of what I you know, upon reflecting on my, my journey, which would definitely not be like the traditional Mm -hmm. success kind of roadmap for anybody in any area, (laughs) you know, it looked meandering and it was like, oh my gosh, you've literally done something in 10 different areas and you've studied so many (laughs) like things. Oh, you were just not committed. And I think that the end of the day, it wasn't that, it wasn't that at all. And I think that that can be an encouragement to a child um, of mine, which I don't know how, they, how they're how they going to turn out or what they're going to be. <laughs> um, but in, in the future, that could encourage them and kind of go, yeah, but, you know, mommy's mommy's pathway wasn't a straight one either. And that's okay, yeah, you know. Sure. Right. Yeah. Excellent. And you know, Seth, there's actually this really great quote that says, to connect what you're just saying, that it says learning stuff was less important than learning about oneself. Because we keep talking about journey that, yes, you know, you you learn stuff. Okay, you like music. Okay, you like, I don't know, this and that. And all those things are great. But I think the underlying thing that's really happening there is this process of learning about yourself. You know, even goes to say that exploration is not just the whimsical luxury of education. It is a central benefit or should be a central benefit. Whether it is, I think that's like an entirely different um, topic and at least from where we stand, I, I, I personally feel like I don't think there's much exploration that happens in the realm of the education system. Um, but and I think the one of the things that I keep thinking of is that you know the, the the wonderful thing with being young is that it really affords you the kind of flexibility to explore and to discover that costs so much more when you are older. Of course, you can always learn. Of course, you can always change, but it just becomes harder. You know what I mean? So it's like, suppose I want to go live in a different country. If it's just me, myself and I, you know, I say goodbye, family. I'll see you. Let me go spend however many years in Spain. Um, but, <laughs> I see you <laughs> yeah. but if it's Eduardo, Mason, Caleb, Ethan, oh my goodness. I can't just move. You know what I mean? Like I have a, a whole baggage of people I'm tied to Diapers, or they, you know, there's a mortgage. <laughs> they, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a yeah. car. So it's just that when we get older, we become a lot more tied to stuff that it's not that it's not 
it's not possible because of course it is possible. Of course it's possible to go back to college like a friend of mine and go study to be a doctor. It is, but I think we cannot deny the fact that once we let time move, it becomes a lot more costly to begin to do certain shifts and certain kinds of exploration. But I think I'll also add with that, that again, some things about our lives we cannot, we don't control. So supposing you are one of those people who, you know, you've missed a whole chunk of exploration. I'm just like, quite frankly, I mean, again, God is in control. So mm-hmm. there's no need necessarily to resent the fact that, you know, you do not have a chance to explore. It's just that, you know, your path again, like, and this is one of the things that I love about the book is that, yeah, so we are constantly learning and, um, you don't know what is around the corner, right? Um, oh yeah, so you, you know what I mean? Like you don't know what is around the corner. Uh, and there is this whole journey that we have to embrace. So meaning that when things don't turn out the way you like to, like you were saying, you just learn to like flex so that you're not like rooted in disappointment and blah, blah, blah. Because of course, if we could control everything, then I think all of our lives would look different, right? But unfortunately our lives look the way we are. One, because we make certain choices, but other choices were made on our behalf, Right. Uh, but I think the big thing for me that I just love is that, but what are you learning about yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, at the moment, what are you discovering? Okay, mm-hmm. you're doing this. Is there something that you're learning, you know, about yourself, about the people you're connected to? Because quite frankly, learning is not just sort of like, you know, one dimensional. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. if I am connected to people and I'm learning something, you find that I also begin to see them hopefully more accurately, you know, understand how we fit. Um, you know, what are you learning about God? You know, because we control some things and we're not, we can't control certain things, you know. So what are we discovering? And I just love that because there's less obsession about just success at the thing. And rather, the thing that we are chasing is success at learning about me, the person, sure. and allowing myself to grow. You know, yeah. through the through you know through time. Um, I don't know. Do we still have time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's opened the book, Stephanie. You see that? There. Well, I, before you before you open the book, I'm going to say one one last thing there on that specific point because I I was thinking about this, um, and it's really the same thing. It's like what I was saying at the beginning is like the hunt for the success. Like, how do I become the most successful X? You know, is not very fulfilling. It's certainly not how I've lived my life. And and I think that like if I was going to kind of I I this is this is already what I was doing but I guess range kind of gave me a way to kind of push against things that would have made me not think it was that important or it was like not the best way to go about it. But I guess my, my kind of broad statement is to be, you know, try to broaden your view of the world, mm-hmm. understand your place in it better. How do you connect to it? How do you connect to other people and realize that you really do have something to offer to your family, to your yes. community. It might be your school or your church or the world at large. Like there are people who, who have some discovery the yeah. thing, this question that this burning question in their mind. And, you know, like Marie Curie was given as, as an example. I mean, she is this genius person who had a question and she wouldn't let go of it. And she, if we didn't have her, we wouldn't have had radiology and all of these things would not have been pursued. She had this burning thing that had to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you're not going to be a Marie Curie level genius or your offering to the world is simply your life, um, a pristine example of being upright and, and, and kind and all those things, um, we really should just try to be pursuing God's intent for our lives. We're not lazy or passive because we're, you know, we're not aiming for, you know, like the pinnacle of success in, in man's eyes. But we're also not deluded into thinking that like some perfect education or career is going to be the thing that gives us that contentment you were talking about. It's not um, it's not going to bring that to to ourselves or to God. And I think that that is really important, being able to kind of contextualize yourself and I think at the end of the day it is that you this whole this whole yeah. experience has been I guess coming to a more accurate view of myself and my journey yeah. and being yeah. able to say I've been on the right path you know and obviously there are always going to be choices that you go oh, maybe I wouldn't have done that maybe I would have <laughs> done this over here but I I had this experience you know with I had a, a, a newborn um and the two older ones and, and the youngest one was just a tiny, tiny baby. And things were really difficult as they usually are when you have a newborn. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, 
I was, I think I was giving him a bath and I had this moment where I heard in my head, stop waiting for the situation to change. Mm. And that was it for about two months. It was like, you got to stop. And then the rest of it came was like two or three months later, you change, Mm. you know? And so it's like, how do you, how do you get through, you know, what could be a very long, difficult period of your life or a season or whatever? It's, it's not changing you. Like you have so limited control to change those things in large part. Um, but you can change you, you can fix those things that need to be adjusted or whatever. And, um, and I guess this has just kind of helped me think, um, about that in a more, I don't know, more appropriate way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, um, I just just to just to highlight uh, emphasize something you're saying here, Stephanie. It's almost like what we have to offer to our community and the people around us isn't who we become as an outcome. It's it's who we are in the journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And and I think I think that's like the big like learning for me. You know, with what you just read and said. Well, in terms of uh, learning about myself, uh, I delve like head first into this whole uh, idea of journaling you know, and like really tracking my internal transactions, my internal thoughts, like, like what I'm, what I'm noticing day to day, what I'm grateful for day to day, um, uh, writing down the stories that come up and what all that was, all that's doing for me is giving me a clearer sight of who I am, you know, in, in the journey of the construct of the system of my eddiness. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just really, what's been designed and, and what, what, what significance and weight it offers to the community around me, to my family, my wife, my kids, um, you know, my friends, my brothers. Uh, and so uh, I think, you know, just, just like walking away with, uh, from this book, uh, just understanding um, that I have permission to walk this out. I have permission to mm-hmm. explore and be interested um, and not, not try to, not try to finalize or bring it into some kind of level of expertise before I can live it, you know, uh, alongside others. All right. Well, I mean, I guess if we're closing, I might as well (laughs) close off by reading from the book. (laughs) I can trust you guys, you know, to hit the right notes. So Uh, so it says, compare yourself to yourself yesterday, not to younger people who aren't you, or, I mean, you could cross out younger, right? We could put whatever in that blog. Everyone progresses at a different rate. So don't let anyone else make you feel behind. You probably don't even know where exactly you're going. So feeling behind doesn't help. And another thing he says, approach your own personal voyage journey, as we've been saying, and projects like Michelangelo approach the block of marble, willing to learn and adjust as you go. And even to abandon a previous goal and change direction entirely should the need arise. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, with that said, um, Let's do the thoughts? I mean, I think, I think that concluded extremely well for us. Yeah. I read the book. I think, read the book. I, think yes. I think that's what I would say. All right. Absolutely. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Stephanie, for this. This is a fantastic, um, uh, so glad you joined your journey with ours. Right. Yeah. Yes. As we talked about this. All right, guys. Well, hope you have a good one. We'll see you on the next one. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody.